Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Before we get going today, I have a very big announcement. After a ton of requests for a place for expat and expat hopefuls to network and get to know each other, I decided to start a new Facebook group. It's called the Expat Money Forum, and it's 100% free to join. We literally just started the group, so you can really network and get to know the individuals there. We will be keeping a very close eye on this group, and I already have three awesome moderators volunteer to help me out. So to make it easy on you, I set up a really simple redirect link. All you have to do to join this group right now is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum. We already have a bunch of previous guests from my show in the group, so you can ask your questions directly to the professionals or get help from the people who are on the ground in the country you are interested in being an expat in. So I hope that you will join us in our new Facebook group by going to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum, and I will see you there. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikhail Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is the founder of the Simple Life Podcast. He is a former special agent and military intelligence officer who takes a no BS, no fluff, what's really working now approach to live the life you really want and cutting out all that meaningless clutter and drama. Please welcome to the show, Gary Collins. Gary, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on, Mikhail. It's been a while. Yeah, absolutely. I got a chance to be a guest on your show, and that was a ton of fun, and we had a big laugh. And now I finally get a chance to get you on my show, so I'm really stoked about that. Yeah, we had a good time, man. Uh, It's always interesting, and uh, it seems like it was a long time ago because so much has changed very rapidly. So, No doubt. All right, before we jump in, I want to kind of know a little bit more about your backstory. I mean, I didn't touch too much on the introduction, but really, I mean, today we're going to be talking about going off-grid, what that entails. Now, you're not an expat yourself. Usually my guests are expats or or soon-to-be expats. Well, you might soon be expat, but you did something a little bit differently. You actually left the cities and you went off-grid, and I want to hear all about that. But kind of how did you get down that path in the first place, I suppose. Yeah, it wasn't some sort of, I wouldn't call it a a drastic U-turn or right turn or whatever. I grew up very poor, very rural, very small town, grew up in the the sticks. So I grew up in the 70s. I was a free range kid. There was no cell phones, computers, internet. There was none of that. 
You know, when my, my, I always joke when my dad or mom wanted me to come home, they would stand in the front yard and yell because it would echo for miles. And we knew it wasn't just us. That's how our parents found us. That's they yelled and it was time to go home. And, uh, you know, we, we just, we grew up kind of middle-class early on and then they lost everything and we became dirt poor. That's how it worked. But my town where I grew up, most people were poor. We didn't know we were that poor. We just lived our lives. And so with that, growing up very rural, we had our own well, septic. You know, I grew up in a piece of junk mobile home trailer. So I kind of had uh, the experience of the lifestyle a little bit before group hunting, fishing, hiking, just outdoors all the time, as much as I possibly could. Uh, Self-made, put, you know, went to college, paid for it on my own. There was no, no uh, NBA uh, team waiting for me in our college scholarships to play basketball. And so just kind of went through life and ended up in uh, the military. I, I wanted to serve my country, did that, ended up being a federal agent, got more degrees along the way and did it for almost half my life by the time I'd left and just realized that life wasn't what I thought it should be. I followed everything I was told. I followed the rules. I, I bought the shiny objects. I bought the house, I bought the car, got the good job and I was miserable. And I went, well, this something's wrong. And for like a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of expats, we think it's us, right? We think there's something wrong with us. We've done something wrong. And I just realized, no, I'd been sold a, a bill of goods. And I'd planned earlier to move more rural, probably five, six years, maybe seven before I even left the government. So I was looking at remote land to get back just to simpler life. It wasn't necessarily off grid. That came as I kind of went along. And yeah, I just, at one point I left the government, uh, a lot of things had to happen. And I just said, enough's enough. It's time for me to live my life. I'm tired of uh, listening to what everyone else is telling me and sold my house, moved into a, a cottage, sold most of my belongings and uh, bought 20 acres in North in the Northeast Washington, which is the Northwest of the United States. And now it's 50 acres, but I built the house off grid, did a lot of it myself made a lot of mistakes and learned that, you know, anything, I kind of knew it, but anything that in life that is beneficial and you enjoy is a lot of hard work. <laughs> no doubt. Now I remember listening. Okay. So I'll be open. I mean, I'm a fan of your work. I've been on your podcast. I've listened to your podcast. I've heard you interviewed on other people's podcasts. I remember this story you were talking about this one time about a table. Do you remember what I'm talking about? This giant table that you bought? Tell me the table story, yeah. Gary. I want to hear the table story again. Oh, the table story is a fascinating one. And people love that because it's it, it just it kind of encompasses my whole change of life and what I went through emotionally and, and, you know, and psychologically, but yeah, I bought this. So I spent six months searching for this stupid table for my kitchen. And I, I, I literally was driving myself nuts in my mid thirties. I talk about this too, of perfectionism. And I was just, Oh my God, everything had to be a certain way. This and is all pre, pre off grid, pre all of this stuff, pre right? Off, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I was, I was in the cult of clutter, as I like to put it, and widget in, widget out society, just like everyone else. I think I, I, took a step back at least a little bit more compared to most people. But yeah, I spent six months looking for the stupid kitchen table. I'm single, had two dogs. You know, why I needed a kitchen table, I have no idea to begin with. I didn't grow up with one, and so. 
I spent all this time, searched all over, finally found this albatross of a kitchen table. I honestly think it could have sat 10 people. I remember. I had six chairs. I remember that. And I didn't have the – it had a uh, center expander that I did not have open. It was in the garage. So, yeah, and it was – it weighed a ton. So I uh, sold everything. So I decided uh, – uh, short sold my house, took a big loss, lost about, I don't know, a quarter of a million dollars of income during the crash of 208. Yeah, all the money I'd saved and built, one house, I, but I had to make a decision. Uh, you know, me and a friend were talking and he goes, "Why? what are you doing? You're holding on to this house and it's destroying you. And I go, I'm the guy that always does right. I pay my bills on time. I'm gonna suck it up. The bank was screwing me. I asked for a forgive if I could get my payments dropped or something. They said, no, sell your car to make your payments. I go, how do I work if I sell my car? They yeah. didn't care. It was a joke at that point. So I sold everything. I did a fire sale, sold everything. The last thing left was that damn kitchen table. And some guy comes in, a military guy, and he goes, hey, you still got the table? I go, yeah, come on over and get it. And he came right over, and he's looking. He goes, I'll take it. And I'm all, oh, that thing's a beast. It was the last thing holding me back. And so I go outside, and I go, hey, you got a trailer? He goes, no. He's got literally a Ford Explorer with a luggage rack on it. <laughs> Did you not? And I'm looking at it. I go, oh, dude, I, I don't know. He goes, oh, we'll just strap it to the roof. We'll take it all. So we disassembled this entire table. It takes us like an hour, maybe even longer. We got six chairs. They're all jammed in this SUV all sideways, <laughs> scraping everything. We get this, this tabletop on the roof. I mean, it looks huge. It's massive. We rope this thing down, and I, I honestly, I'm just thinking, please don't kill yourself or anyone taking this table home. You know, don't. So, I mean, we, I even gave him rope. We, we made sure this thing wasn't going anywhere. And like I said, he pulls off. He's all, hey, thanks, man. I'll see you later. And I'm all, okay. And as he's leaving, it just kind of hit me. That was the last item. And I went, am I a loser? Did I fail? Did I just fail at life? And then it hit me. I went, I'm free. I'm totally free. There's nothing holding me back. I don't own shit anymore. I sold everything. I got rid of all of it. I had a small, I moved everything, me and a buddy with his truck and my truck. And it took us a couple loads. We were done. That was it. And I moved into a cottage. It was about 475 square foot. But yeah, that was it. Because I couldn't get that table in that cottage. It yeah, wasn't no going to fit. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my... Uh, well, I like this one. story, and, and I liked it the first time, and I, and I like it this time. I, I like it because I think that people get so confused about what the priorities are in life. Like, why do you need to spend so much money and spend six months searching for a kitchen table? Like you said, you're a single guy. You're not a family of 12 or a family of 10 or something like this that... You're not doing Christmas dinner with a thousand people. Who are you trying to impress? And then it's like you spend so much time and effort and energy and money to get a table that actually you don't really care about. It doesn't really matter to your beliefs. And actually the thing was weighing you down, like physically and philosophically. Like, I mean, I, I just, I think that happens to well, so many people every single day. Well, and that's what made it interesting too. I, I think I sat at that table five times and ate a meal on it the whole time I had it. And I was at the point where 
with the house, I said, if I don't sell this, I'm leaving it. I'm not, I'm not even going to attempt to take this thing with me. It's gone. I'm, I'm wiping the, the slate clean. And I remember going, what, a, like you said, what a waste of money and time if I end up just leaving this table behind. Something I didn't need. And it represented, I, I think to me, it represented the, the philosophy of shiny objects and things are more important than life. That's what it did. I think all the time, people are always like, oh, I want to be an expat, but I don't have enough money or I, I can't, you know, I can't afford it and stuff. Like being an expat or, or having some alter alternative, I mean, there is no keeping up the Joneses when you're living overseas. And I'm sure when you're living off grid, I mean, you don't have that type yeah. of thing. You don't need to have a beautiful brand new kitchen table. What was it? Mahogany or something like, I mean, it's just not necessary. Those things are not important. People don't value all that. But, you know, when I lived in Canada, that's certainly how the way it is. And in the States, that's how the way it is. I mean, you have to have all those types of things. And you get tricked into believing that that's the important thing. But actually having the experience and living your life and enjoying and doing things that are going to speak to your values, I think, are way, way more important. Well, and that's the important part. I think what people like of my journey and how I how I talk about it in my books and everything I do, the podcast, is that I'm pretty blunt and, and there's no I tell people you get the good and the bad. If I make a mistake, I share it. I just did this recently. You know, I had to cut two people loose that I hired to make my life easier. They made my life harder and a pain in the ass and they screwed a bunch of stuff up. Yeah. So here I am again doing all the work that I tried to offboard. Now it's back on me, but that's okay. You know, I learned that, you know, sometimes you 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 might just have to do it yourself long term. And I was but it worked. I mean, I was able to get some other things done. But it is. It's it's this thing that you think you have to do things a certain way. And that's what the lesson was with these two people. One of them kept telling me I had to do these things a certain way mm -hmm. in order to be able to promote my brand and build it. No, that actually was totally incorrect. Um, and once I took it over again, I realized that my brand is me. It has nothing to do with someone else telling me what it is. It's me. And, you know, I'll make mistakes. You have to figure out marketing, but I figured it out on my own. And it does simplification. And that's kind of how I look at everything is simple. Simple is, you know, addition by subtraction. That's what it is. So talk to me, how did you decide to go from everything you had to not just like downsizing, but to actually off grid? Like, where's that connection? Where's that piece of the puzzle? Well, it was uh, for me, I think I had always just a guy who liked being outside and that's where I was the happiest. So I went, well, and to be honest with you, part of it too was right before that kitchen table was California had a big drive, always does. Um, one of the many droughts, it was in a drought. We were in Southern California. So they told us to cut back our water consumption by 25%. And they put in these draconian uh, rules that you can only water at certain times of the day, certain days of the week. And if you went over, you got these massive surcharge and they could fine you. Yeah. And I was like, where are we? Are we in hell? Are we in Russia? 1978? You know, What's going on here? Yeah. This is insane. And so, but being the good, good follower I was at the time, I said, okay, I, I'd, I'd already installed water saving toilets and everything. And I did some other stuff. 
and I watered on the schedule. I watered less. And it's funny, if your lawn died, though, then the HOA would fine you for your lawn being dead. <laughs> you're, stuck in this, yeah, you're stuck in this quagmire where you couldn't win. And so we did such a good job in, in the, in the uh, area I was in that we saved 33% uh, above the 25. But what happened was it caused a lack of revenue for the water department. So what they did the next quarter is they raised all of our water bills. And I went, I'm out. That's when I said, enough's enough. I got fined by my HOA. I saved the money. And now I'm paying higher water bills. And I went, this is it. I'm done. No more. And so that made me explore because I grew up on a well, wells, and we all did. I grew up in a very ranching town and small town that I went, you know what? I'm going to give off-grid a shot. I'm going to do it. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I'll figure it out. I at least know some of it. And that's what really kind of pushed me into that direction. I didn't want utility companies telling me how I could live. And not only that, but the brownouts, you know, they still have them. You know, I left California eight years ago and they still can't figure out how to generate enough power. It's not rocket science. I mean, come on. All right. So tell us about the place and like, what was there when you arrived? Like break me down like day one, paint me a picture. What was this place like? Uh, well, I go up there and uh, I had to get a new real estate agent after a fiasco of a week with a moron leading me around. And it, there's a whole story. I put it in going off the grid. I updated it with that story in it. People love the story. So we get up there and I, I instantly go, hey, I'll take this. But it was an old logging site, remote, and nothing had been done. It just been logged. That was it. So it was logging roads in, logging roads out, and it hadn't been logged in a very long time. So mm-hmm. everything had grown back. So nothing there, zero, nothing. Uh, so I, we, I basically started from raw land scratch. That meant, you know, there was a, a landing site where you put a landing for uh, when you log. It's where all the equipment is when you bring up the bark and, and, and you buck all the trees and everything, and then it's trucked out. So that was there. That's where I built. So you had a, you had a location, like you didn't have to actually figure out, okay, where do I want to put the house? You kind of had a flat piece of land that had been used by the previous owners of this property. Kind of. We kind still of. had okay. to do a dirt work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I decided that was the best place to build. <laughs> yeah. And he had said, well, we put the landing there because we thought if someone bought to build, this would probably be the spot. And he was right. And I still I still know him and his brother to this day. I mean, they live in my town. Um, I just bought land from his brother. And uh yeah, so yeah, there was nothing there. There was no infrastructure, no water, you know, there's no electricity, there's nothing, zero. That's what I mean. It's trees and weeds. That's all I had in dirt. So I had to start from nothing. Oh my god. Not even good roads. I didn't even have a really a road in. Um, I had a very rough road in and I had to build another partial road on the back side of the property that which is the main road I use today. But where do you start? Like, what what are the priorities? What are the things that you need to do ASAP before anything else? You buy this property; it's yours. I mean, there's no keys to hand over, obviously. But I mean, like, where do you start? What do you do? When I talk about this, this is something I learned growing up in the in the desert. And you know, if you do, I always say, if you don't have water access to water, you just bought a very expensive camping site. And people go, oh, you can just haul water. I've grown up and I've been around people who haul water. It sucks. It sucks. It's not fun. 
And uh, so I always say the priority is to make sure you have access to water. So what I did before I even really built in a real nice road, I built in a rough road so we could get access, but even that was rough, is I drilled a well. That was the very first thing I did because I said, if I can't find water and I don't have a well, this is purely for camping and hunting. <laughs> so that was the first thing I always tell people. And they go, well, how do you know if you're going to get water? I go, well, there's no guarantees, but I was in between, I don't know, a bunch of lakes. And I knew on the backside of my property, the people a mile and a half away had wells and there was wells around me. <laughs> so any well company, what they do is they do a survey. I just drilled another well at another property, same process. <laughs> they know, they run a survey and they know the depths and they know the areas where wells have been drilled. It's basic, right? And I okay, had so, so pause for a second. So do you, okay. I, I mean, neither one of us at this point are very fond of the government or overly regulating, but just out of curiosity's sake, when you buy the property, do you have to have special permits or special laws to be able to drill down for well water? Because I, I, I'm trying to think about when you own land, yeah. sometimes you just own what's above the land. You don't really own what's below the land. Yeah, yeah and it depends. It's all based upon county state it's all very different i tell people about that too you need to research the rules mm -hmm. and they go well i don't want to follow any i go well it's going to be a pain in the ass for you then because yeah. you're not getting around it. so yeah we had to pull permit you always have to pull permit to drill a well the well drilling company does that for you okay you can do it on your own but that's what you're paying them for they'll go pull the permit and all the permit is to say yes you can you have rights to the water you can drill well here. That's all it is, right? Mm -hmm. And that you're not going to do stupid things when drilling the well. The drill, the well company doesn't want to get in trouble. So that's what you do. The first thing you do is they pull the permit. They do the survey to make sure that, that you're in an area that has water. And you drill well. I mean, that's it. It's basically a, a pipe with a drill end on it that goes in the ground. They put a casing. They hit water. You put a pump in it. That. I mean, that's a well. Because I remember looking at property in northern Canada. This was probably 10 or 15 years ago, like buying huge plots of land. And then when I'm going through listings or, or speaking to the people, they're like, yeah, you you can buy the land, but you don't have the rights to, if, if there's any minerals there or you can't dig there and you can't do all this stuff. And I, was, I just thought that was kind of funny. You know, I mean... You, you figure if you buy a place, if you buy the land, then it's yours and you can do whatever you want. But there's all there's so many different regulations and things where they still keep their fingers in it and have more well, control over you. So they're in everything. Yeah, they're in everything. Well, it's like the airspace above you. You don't own that either. You know, planes can fly over your house all they want. You know, you don't you don't own their space to it. And that's I mean, it's it, the the land rights ownership is a bit of a facade. Um, don't get me wrong. I would like to own my own land, but you still have to pay taxes on it. People think you can go around. And matter of fact, I just recently met a couple who decided to get a permit waiver and they built their entire property without permits, which I have a whole chapter in my book about do not build your property without permits. Do not do it. You are literally throwing money into the fire. I know people hate rules and regulations. But when you go to sell an unpermitted property, you're selling land again. You're not selling dwellings. You're selling land because you can't finance it. You can't do anything with it. Crazy. All right. Tell people where they're going to be able to get your book, and then let's continue on on this story. Um, name of the book, where, where yeah, do people I pick it up? 
Well, the off-grid one, the main that claim to fame is going off the grid. There's a follow-up called Living Off the Grid. Please go to my website, thesimplelifenow.com. I sell everything there. I own all the rights to my books. They are on Amazon. They are sold worldwide. But I want you to uh, buy them from me. I think Jeff Bezos has plenty of money at this point. I don't think we need to make him richer. Please support me uh, because I don't make crap hardly on anything sold on Amazon. Go figure how yeah. I became rich. So if, I'd appreciate, yeah, if you could do that. Sorry, went on a soapbox there real quick. All good, all good. All right, so you get the permits. You contact the well drilling company. They come in, get it hooked up. What's a time frame for something like this? What what are people expecting? This is like a, a weekend thing. You got to organize this a month in advance. Yeah. What what are you thinking? Or what is, how does this work? It really depends. Uh, I drilled that well eight years ago, so wells became very popular thereafter. Like a lot mm -hmm. of people started drilling wells who didn't have them prior. And uh, it depends. Here, I think I had to wait a couple months. Because everyone's building, everyone's drilling wells where I'm at yeah. right now. And when you say but here, where are you now? In Arizona. I, Arizona. I'm building another house in Arizona. This one's grid-tied. I had the option to build it off-grid, but I have power close. That's it. I'm still doing septic well, and I plan to run it off-grid and get all the components in. But I'm also not a dummy for resale value if I ever sell it. Well, guess what? If I run property to it, that increases the value of the home greatly. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing that first, then I'll put in my systems and I'll run it off grid. And also I'm in one of the few counties in the country where I can still sell power back to the utility company. So okay. that's why I'm doing it this way. There's a whole strategy that I built into this, but yeah, it just depends where you're at. Um, but it, you can, they drill the well out here in a day. I think the well up there was two days, but those are good drilling. Like you have to have the right rig. If they come up with an older drilling rig, it could take a week, depending how deep you go. All right. So that's phase one. Let's 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 break this into phases. Phase yeah, two. Phase one. You need water. Okay. Phase two. What's up, Gary? What what what's the next priority when you're going off grid here? Okay. Now that you got the well in, you know, uh, you might want to, and I back this up a little bit. You want to build a shed of some sort to put your stuff in, because mm -hmm. what happened with the drilling rig. Because, you know, a bunch of good old boys around me, I think they were playing a little game with me. Now they're scared to death of me once they learned who I was. They came and stole the chains, the uh, the tire chains and straps off the drilling rig that night. So we get the drilling rig up on Friday, and we had to we had to use a bulldozer to tow it up there. There's a whole story on that, too, because my- I like stories. Are stories are good. Feel free to we, jump we into couldn't... any story at any time. <laughs> Yeah, we couldn't get the drilling rig up there because my roads are so steep. So I had to call a guy I knew uh, who ran an excavating company, and we had to drag the drilling rig up with a bulldozer. Trust me, most drilling companies are not going to allow you to do that. Yeah. Luckily, I was friends with the guy at, who was uh, the manager. So we, drill, we drug a very expensive drilling rig up with a bulldozer. And so we got it up there. We, we, we ended up later, so we couldn't start on a Friday night, so they weren't coming back out till Monday. By the time I, – I got a weird feeling. I don't know what it was, a little spider sense. I went up the next morning, and some knuckleheads had gone up there and messed with the drilling rig and stole some stuff. So I would highly recommend you put in some sort of shed, which I did very shortly thereafter, and I put up security fences and gates. Get your security set soon after. 
um, yeah. you know, water first because you don't want to put in all these measures if you don't have any water. Mm-hmm. And then have a place where you can put stuff away and store it. I would recommend that. But then next was uh, the the building site, right? I had to get it kind of leveled. And then you got to put in for your building permits. That's a process. You go to the county. In rural areas, people are saying it's actually not that hard. I've had zero problems with building permits in the two rural areas I'm building at and building now. You just go in there. It's usually one guy, you know, who does inspections, one inspector. And they walk you through the process. You know, they say, hey, you need to fill out this form. You need to do it this way. They actually helped me fill out some of it. So don't be scared by it. It's not some scary process that's going to cost you a fortune and take eight months to do, like in a city. Mm-hmm. It's fairly quick. Or in San Francisco, which is like 20 years or 50 years or something. Oh, yeah. It's something ridiculous. Well, you know, you <laughs> got to figure out how to build around the... Uh, artifacts of uh dehydrated human feces all over the place you know (laughs) you know so yeah oh my god um but yeah it's real easy i mean once you figure it out it's really easy you just go get your permits they tell you what you can do what you can't do pretty basic right dude don't get me wrong i don't like rule uh government rules as much as anyone i worked in it for 20 years but there's a point where you better be realistic and i tell people again Don't pull the proper permits. They have this crazy thing called Google Earth now. So if you start throwing up structures and doing all this stuff and you go, oh, they're never going to figure this out. I'm just going to build houses and cottages. And guess what? They Back then, eight years ago, they were able to give me Google Earth overheads of my property in a little podunk rural town. Trust me, they want your tax revenue. They inspect my property every four years to see what I've done physically. They show up. Okay, so during this whole process of trying to, you know, put in the well and the shed and the security and things like this, were where were you living? You were in town or you were in a trailer on site or you were camping or you were in another city? How where were you during all of this time, I suppose? Well, you see, I'm in an RV. I'm in my travel trailer right now. I still live in this thing. I uh when I transitioned from the cottage that I was renting, I actually moved into, bought a travel trailer and moved into a travel trailer. I've been doing that ever since. So as I built, I lived full-time in the travel trailer. I went back and forth between uh, California and Washington for a couple years here and there. Oh, well, actually quite a few years. And then it went to part-time. It, it took me about five years to build the house because I paid all cash, debt-free, so I would work, build, work, build, work, build. And I can't build during the winter up there. It's uh, The winters are pretty brutal. So my building season was roughly from April until October. And that was it. So I had to build around that schedule too. But yeah, I just, I moved in downsized from one, downsized from house to cottage to travel trailer. And so that's what I did. And I still do it. This will probably be the last year in a travel trailer for me. I'm I'm building another place, which is the studio for the podcast as well. So yeah, but it's been a good run. Um, I won't say that I'll never do it again. It's not bad. It's just I've kind of moved to another, you know, stage of my life. So I think that maybe people up until this point didn't understand that when you say you built the house, You don't mean I built the house as in I hired contractors and I was like, hey, go build me a house. You mean like you, with your own two hands, built a house? Both. It was a combination of contractors and me. 
Okay. And don't get me wrong, the first contractor tried screwing me over. I call it small towning because I grew up in a small town. And I told him, don't small town me. Yeah. And, you know, he was a greedy little loser. So he tried it anyway, fired him and spent, you know, $30,000 in six months of my life fixing all of his stupid screw ups and mistakes. Because I told him, I know how to build a house, dude. Yeah. I've been doing this a long time. I'm hiring you to speed the process up. And I have never worked with this material, which he claimed to have. Come to find out, he'd only worked with it one other time and screwed it up. <laughs> so, you know, learning, little learning curve. And that's why I wrote the books, kind of help people save time and money. I made all the mistakes. So hopefully you don't have to. You're going to make some. But yeah, it was just, uh, I did probably about 50% of it on my own. Okay. So uh, what are the helps. things that you would take care of? And one of, what were the things that you'd want a contractor to take care of? Yeah, the actual physical structure, and it wasn't dried in. Dried in means it's weatherproof. It wasn't by the time I fired him. Um, so I had to go weatherproof it and do a bunch of other things. But I just had him put in the structure. So the, the physical house of the was in with a roof, mm -hmm. but that was it. There was no electrical run, no plumbing, no nothing. It was just a box, and that was it. So then I went in and basically had all the you know the electricity, hook the well up, get the water, plumbing, septic, all that had to be done. All the finish work, you know, all the uh, I, the decking, all the decks were built. You know, there's no cabinets, there's no not no flooring. I mean zero. There's mm -hmm. nothing in there. Mm -hmm. So I did all that. I did a lot of finished work, but I had a helper. Don't get me wrong. I'm not Superman. Building by yourself a two and a half, three-story house is a good way to get killed. So I would do all the things I could do by myself that I could manage. Yeah. Then he would come up once a week on Sundays usually, and we would do all the projects that I needed two people for. Yes, yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and this is how most people, because I got some flack from uh, the diehard off-gridders who usually, I call them living in a shanty and shitting in a bucket. Um, they get a little pissed off, I guess, at people like me who decide that, why am I gonna live that way if I don't have to and I don't necessarily want to? There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. It's just, I don't want to. And they're all, well, you didn't build the whole thing by yourself. I'm gonna tell you right now, very, very, very few people who build a real house, like I said, not a glorified shed, not a not a lean to leaning over. Yeah, <laughs> they bring in contractors. They get help, if not from contractors, people in the local area around them who have built their own property and stuff. I don't know anyone who's done a real property all by themselves. To this yeah. day, I've never met one, and I ran into a lot of off graders in my life. Well, I mean, growing up, I heard of you know we had family friends. Oh yeah, we built our house. I mean, but they didn't mean they built their house. They just meant that they bought a piece of land and then they hired an architect and then a foreman and then a team and the house was built based on their likes and dislikes, but it didn't really mean they built the house. But I guess my point is that you actually were hammering nails and you know putting things together. So there's a, a big difference there, a big gap, but um, for sure, I mean, Having a helping hand well, to make sure you don't the, kill yourself is probably a smart move, I would say. Well, yeah, it's like certain things. You can't carry, you know, 20-foot beams by yourself. You know what I mean? There's certain things you cannot do. Yeah. Uh, and up there, you know, I didn't. you can't get heavy equipment up there either, really. It, yeah. I, you know, it's very difficult to get it to my property. And I wasn't going to buy heavy equipment to use it to build and then let it sit in the side yard. Yeah. So a lot of it was just muscle, figuring stuff out. You know, a little sketchy at times, you know, uh, we had uh, 
scaffolding for a short period of time. Once we got rid of scaffolding, we didn't have it anymore. So yeah, it was a little bit of an adventure, but I had skills before. I was not an expert in building, but I'd done remodeling and owned several properties and flipped a couple houses. Uh, I mean, I wasn't a complete, utter amateur, um, but yeah, I mean, you're going to need help. I don't care who you are. Like I said, unless you're going to get a shack from Home Depot and throw some insulation in it, you're going to need help. And even then, I did build a woodshed to prove a point mm-hmm. that uh, matches the house. And it's not some piece of crap, throw it up, which it, I built a really good woodshed. And I did it all by myself to shut those people up to say <laughs> there was not one helping hand in this at all and the off-grid community fights back too yeah no it was only a couple knuckleheads most people you know like i said there's 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 shitheads everywhere there's not you're never going to make them happy or appease them they always know better than you so that's life that's life today okay so you just brought up an important point i mean you had experience you had done the remodeling you're quite handy already do you think that if someone were going to go down this path, they're, they're listening to this episode and they're living in a big city and they're going, I got to get out. I want to get away from all these people. The zombie apocalypse is here. Do you think that they can just go out there and do it themselves? Or do you think they should take some smaller side projects first to kind of mentally prepare themselves and build up their skills before they go into a larger project like you have accomplished. Absolutely, because uh, I talk about this a lot too. A lot of those off-grid shows, which are complete BS, most of them, those houses they build are mostly unlivable, almost Mm. all of them. They really are. They're not finished. It's for TV. Um, And, uh, you know, so take it slow. You know, take, you know, I always recommend, hey, if you own a house in the city, maybe find a rental a little further out from the city that's a little more rural, kind of downsize your 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 you know all of your good all the things you own start getting into the lifestyle and figuring it out maybe take some classes you know go to home depot or whatever and take a couple courses on tiling plumbing some basic stuff read mm-hmm. Gary's books they're great i'm telling you i know the author he did this stuff <laughs> and i've had a, it's nice to know i have a lot of people who now live off grid who use my books as references to go off grid that's all i was trying to do with it Mm-hmm. So do your research and be careful with YouTube. There's a bunch of idiots on YouTube. Be really, really careful. That's an so, important I mean, point for expats and for the offshore space as well. There are so many people yeah. out there who are putting out content about going offshore, about tax strategies, about immigration, yeah. about things like this. And I swear to God, these people haven't done anything themselves or they've done one little move and they now consider themselves worldwide experts. Like I've been doing this for 21 years now. Um, I actually walk the walk and talk the talk. I mean, I'm not just armchair doing this. And clearly you are not either, Gary. Like you went through that project and we'll talk maybe a little bit more about the project you're working on right now. But I mean, you actually went through this and you said, how long did it take you? Five years to build this house? Five years. And that's pretty common. Uh, It's about three to five years for most people to build an off-grid house. Pretty basic. Uh, unless you have unlimited money and you live in a place where it's nice all year, uh, it's going to take a while. And, mm-hmm. and, and the way I did it too, by doing it debt free, you know, I had time and money, you know, things slowing me down. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with that, it still would have probably taken me three years with the way I did it. Even if I had unlimited money, just the way I built everything. Mm-hmm. And, and with that, you know, it, yeah, it, that's what I mean. It, YouTube, 
people, I, I call them false prophets in my book, right? There's a lot of people today who want to tell you how to do something that have no clue on how to do it. They've never done it. It's a money-making deal. And yeah. YouTube is filled with that because there's a lot of people, I've met some of them, and once they, I start questioning, they honestly will look down and walk away from me because they know that they've never done anything they've talked about yeah. and that they're full of shit. And they're just trying to get views on YouTube and they went to a course, their little course from their guru. Yeah. And now they're going to teach you how to screw your life up and yeah. make you pay a lot of money for it. I tell people also, if you want to do things right, you need to find someone who has done it and done it right. And don't go the cheap route. Go, oh, well, I can get those downloads for free. Oh, I'll just watch these videos for free. They're free for a reason. Yeah. You know, I tell people I am not the bargain bin. I'm not the scratch and dent. I sell books. I think they're fairly cheap. I go, if you want real expertise and I do consulting, I go, you have to pay for it. And that's how I look at it. If I want an expert to teach me how to do something, I'm going to have to pay for it. Because you're not so, paying like, oh, you know, an hourly wage. You don't, you don't pay a consultant or a coach or something like that an hourly basis based on just that time. Like, I mean, you don't pay them $500 or $1,000 yeah. an hour or something like that. You pay them because they've got the five years, 10 years, 20 years experience in the background so that you don't have to have that 20 years experience to actually get to that same place. They can look at a problem and just go, okay, do this, this, and this, and you're going to solve your, it's going to solve these problems. You're going to save yourself time, energy, effort, money. I mean, that's why you work with a coach or a consultant. I mean, I've spent tons of money with coaches and consultants and it is always money well spent. I mean, especially for my business. Oh my God. I mean, that's well worth the, the extra expense. Yeah, exactly. And and be careful. That's what I mean. Take your time. Every time I try and speed things up and rush, it bites me in the ass every single time. Mm -hmm. And trust me, I still do it at times. It's just human nature. Mm -hmm. But the more you can kind of uh, limit doing that, the better. And, you know, also you have to be very flexible. And I tell people this. The thing about a home off-grid project is the way you start it is not going to be the way it ends. It never happens that way. And construction in general, building houses, there's always mistakes made. This is impossible to avoid. You just fix them. That's mm -hmm. it. Uh, there'll be overruns, cost overruns. There'll be mistakes made. That's the building process. That's it. So don't panic and think the world's going to end. Because honestly, most people where this contractor where I fired him would have probably given up on the project and walked away. I've seen them. I've come to properties like that. Wow. I just looked at it and went, it's fixable. It's going to take me a lot of time, but I can fix it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I went back and, and fixed all of his work. Without the experience, could I have done it? Yeah. Yeah. It just would have been hard, harder. Mm -hmm. But and and realize you're going to screw up. You're you're going to make some pretty big mistakes at times, mm -hmm. but just fix them. Yeah. Don't lose sleep on. over it. Just figure it out. Yeah, house in the end, all it is, honestly. It's a square made out of wood, metal, and plastic, some plastic. That's all it is. That's all a house is. It's not – they try and – contractors tell you you're rebuilding the NASA shuttle. It's not that hard. It really isn't. Is it, is it not easy? Yeah, but it's not hard in the end. It's a pretty basic concept. So Okay, so we were going through the phases. So phase one was sort out the water, security, get the shed up. Phase two was bring in – Someone get that the box, get the structure. And I assume this is kind of so you have a, a dry place to work in and 
you know. Yeah. Okay, so phase three, where where were you at this point during phase three? Like we're talking, this project has now been going on for three months, six months, a year, two years. I, I literally have no idea. And then kind of what just, is the next phase that people would want to be thinking about? I was in year three by the time I started in on the inside uh, at that point. And that was, you know, that now you have to get your electrical run. I had to put in the solar system. So then I put in the solar system that ha that mine was certified by the county. I think I have one of the only ones. So mine was actually permitted and uh, okayed by the county, my solar system, which is fairly rare. I didn't realize how rare that was at the time. So is that so the main, main way you would be recommending people to power an off-grid place is by solar? It depends. If you don't yeah. have any sunlight, solar is not going to work. And you kind of have to figure out how much sunlight do you have. Well, I'm in two parts of the country in the U.S. where I have good sunlight to run solar. Uh, but some people use hydro. Some people, I have a wind turbine I put in all by myself to prove a point again that don't mess with me. And uh, But I did it as more of a, an experiment. I'm not in a good wind area, so it's really not going to provide that much wind power. But some people use wind. But a lot of people use all three. If you want the most reliable power system off-grid, you utilize wind, solar, and, and hydro if you can. But most people, almost all people use wind and solar. That's the primary that people use. So yeah, you got to get that set up because you need power to run stuff. But I also had a generator. Uh, I had a portable generator that I still use. As a backup. So were you using the generator for power tools to do the building? Yeah. Because I imagine doing that with hand tools would be very slow people, going. <laughs> people do it. They do wow. do it. Is that and, like a purist uh, thing? Like, oh, you you built this, yeah. but you used. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's brutal. Um, the house is uh, that the people who do it are pretty neurotic. Most of them. Yeah. Um, most people I know have done are for, former engineers or current engineers, and the houses are absolutely beautiful mm -hmm. i mean but the work involved it's it's a it, it truly is a life passion mm -hmm. to build that um i wouldn't talk anyone out from doing that if you want to do that hey knock yourself out it's it'll be very rewarding in the end and but for most people that's probably not an option so yeah i ran a generator i bought a generator well before i ever even had the property i had a backup generator in the city and so i utilized it i still use it to this day that thing is bulletproof I mean, I paid like 550, 600 bucks for the thing 10 years ago, and I've never even changed a spark plug on it, which is shocking to me. <laughs> I've only changed the oil. Obviously, I changed oil in it and the pull cord, the electric start. My contractor broke that within the first week he started working on the property. But yeah, you know, so you use a generator, you need something to charge your batteries for your cordless tools and any big power tools you run. So yeah, you're going to have to have a generator before you ever start building. Mm -hmm. You have to. Okay, so then how do you figure out, and maybe this is getting a bit technical, but on how much power you're going to need for the size of the property and how much solar panels you're going to need and how much sunlight is going to be provided for those solar panels so that you don't build this house and then at the end realize like, shit, I don't have enough power to actually do the things that I want to do, run my lights or anything like this. Like how? How do you figure out all of those little steps? Well, you can, you'll never get it perfect. And that's what okay. I mean. You're always going to be adding on. I've, I've now upgraded my solar system three times. Oh, wow. Um, you know, nothing big. I mean, I got the core system set and it worked fine for what I had at the moment. 
But then I started adding some things. So the easiest way you do is you go, what appliances am I going to use? And what is their power draw? Mm -hmm. So you list all those out. You tabulate how much power a day you'll probably use. And a lot of these solar off-grid companies that do solar and sell the components, they'll show you how to do it. I used a well-known company called Backwoods Solar. They're not too far from me. I have it in my book, how to tabulate it. And also there's a website where you can go that will give you wind and sun generation okay. depending where you live. And so the general rule is whatever, like your solar panels, whatever the rating is, say it's a 300 watt panel. Well, you have to cut that in half. So technically you're gonna get 150 watts out of it at peak. That's just a general rule. Now, you can get into more specifics, and that's what I mean. It'll tell you how much sun power and wind power you can generate in that part of the U.S. I know it's worldwide. I think there's one that's worldwide. So, yeah, there's ways to tabulate it, and you just have to realize you're going to change it. Yeah. I've yeah. never met anyone with an off-grid power system who is not added to the original system. I've never met anyone. But you want to get the basic. You want to overbuild, if you can, parts of it, like my uh, – I, I replaced my charge controller. I had to upgrade that. But my inverter, I overbought. So I overbought the inverter, which is very expensive part. I overbought that because just in case I did upgrade, and it saved me big time because I still use that one, and I don't mm -hmm. need to upgrade it. So, yeah, there's, there's little tricks to the trade, and I talk about it in the book. There's little things that you don't know. That there's a lot that I don't know. <laughs> I have there's no idea. But I, I'm literally just going, I'm just picking your brain about just things that I'm like, how does that work? How does that work? So, okay. How does it work? <laughs> how does it work? You have like car batteries set up or they have special batteries for solar because you're not really going to be using a lot of the electricity or maybe as much of the electricity in the middle of the day. I'm, I'm thinking like lights and stuff like this, or I'm cooking dinner and that's where I'm going to be yeah. using a lot of the electricity. Yeah, well, and that's what it is. You have a, a storage battery bank, right? Because mm -hmm. once it goes dark, your power's out. You got no power. So you have a battery bank that's what I was talking about, a charge controller. The charge controller regulates the solar charging coming off the panels and coming in that goes into the batteries. So you don't- But are the batteries them. specific batteries just for this, or are these batteries that we would think of as like a car battery? No, like you can actually use car batteries. Any deep cycle battery will work. Okay. That acid. They're just not as efficient and they can't store as much. So there mm -hmm. are specific uh, batteries built for solar off-grid systems. That's what they're built for. Cool. They are not cheap. Mine weigh about 90 pounds a piece. And I have just eight. I only have one bank right now. I was going to put in a separate bank. But here's another thing is you can't just add a bank <laughs> to lead acid because they degrade. So you, when you go to add another bank, you got to replace the first bank too. So you got to buy two banks. Yeah. Okay. No lessons. I talk about that. I mean, yeah. yeah, you, if you want, yeah. But now with the, the new technology with, you know, Tesla's created some batteries, but that was going to be my next question was about the Tesla stuff. Yeah. 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 So with um, the lithium batteries now, they're great. They're light, they're small. They can, they're, they're very efficient. The, problem is they don't do good with big weather swings so i can't i leave my property in the winter so mm -hmm. i can't use i can't use those batteries i can't use lithium ion because they can't take the the below zero temperatures that they're gonna get oh yeah okay yeah so there's still some hang-ups with it but lead acid and nickel are the two most batteries that you use in extreme weather conditions 
that's because I remember you... seeing the ones from Tesla, and this was several years ago. I mean, these these aren't new. Um, where people were putting them in their garage, and it was just at one giant battery, and that that was a backup just for blackouts and things like that, just for people living in cities so that they didn't go without power. So I was yeah, kind of curious. Okay. Tesla does not have any off-grid technology for batteries that I know of, mm -hmm. unless they created it. That's all grid-tied. That's all backup battery for when your power goes out. Because off-grid and grid-tied, the way the technology works is different. They're similar but different. So the batteries, yeah, you have to have batteries if you want to store your power. It's a little learning curve. They're not that difficult. It's like an old car, lead-acid car battery. You have to put water, distilled water in them. They mm -hmm. do uh, the electrolyte. Will burn, it does off gas when it off gases, obviously the water will drain down, but that's about it. They're pretty simple. It's pretty hard to screw them up. Um, I leave mine, I trickle charge mine in the winter. I have a setup. Like I set my house up to be left during the winter, mm -hmm. which was specific to me. I mean, that's a trick in itself. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people. The way I did it is very different in the sense because I knew I was leaving it and there's no power. I can't mm -hmm. leave the power on to keep things defrosted, water lines. So I have to literally yeah, drink all the water out of my house and I have a specific way I do it and the way I built it. And also I have a, a crawl space, which is very unique for an off-grid house in the mountains. So did you decide, like, is your house not a Four Seasons house or you just decide you didn't want to live there in the winter because it's too cold or something? Oh, no, no. It's built Four Seasons for sure. Okay. It's actually a little overbuilt because I do leave it in the winter. Um, but the reason I did that is my property is at the top of a mountain. It's very difficult to get into. It's four-wheel drive in the summer. So in the winter, it's deadly. And so I, I – and, you know, I just – I'm getting old. I don't like cold weather. I never intended for it to be a full four-season, all-season house. I wanted to spend summers up there and travel yeah. in the winter. Well, this what I'm building right now is my winter house. So now I'm building another house for winter. I use the RV in between. But yeah, no, it's uh, it, do a lot of people live all year off grid? Yes. Where I live, could I do it? Yes. Do I want to do it? No. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because yeah. I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm trying to understand it and, and get a full picture of the place. Yeah. Trying well, to go up there in the winter there. is. I have a hidden site. It's in the going off grid second edition book. But I have a, a sub page in my website that I just don't give out willy nilly to everyone to access. Um, it's uh, the simplelifenow.com forward slash off grid tips. If you go there, it has my entire building process. There's hundreds of pictures on there. There's a new video of it completed with everything in place that was done with dr a drone. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to go there and you can see everything. Everything I didn't oh, off pick. grid picks one word or hyphenated word. between no, nothing just off grid picks and and if you go there it's in the book like so if you buy it going off the grid it's in that link yeah. is in the book. well buy the book anyways guys I mean if you guys are interested yeah. in this spend the money I mean this well my life story interesting my story's stuff. in there too yeah I, I tell my story so it's not just technical jargon the whole time I tell mm -hmm. a story interesting interesting interesting. Okay. Okay. So to kind of wrap up the winter aspect. So does this mean literally like you leave for the winter and you don't go back even once? Like you just trust that the house is going to be fine all winter. You're not worried about any of the pipes or anybody breaking in or any security or I don't know, a bear or something like 
you're not worried about any of this stuff. You just leave it or you do pop in every month or something to check on the place. No, I'm, I'm 1,500 miles away right now. I, I don't go back because I can access You don't have a neighbor, I'm sure. Like, I mean, if you're pretty remote, you probably don't have a neighbor or anything to go and. I have a neighbor who can go up and they have, they go up and check it out every once in a while if I ask. But it doesn't matter. What are they going to do anyway? They go up and go, hey, your house collapsed. Well, it collapsed. It doesn't matter. But no, I built it to be able to handle a winter without me being there. I've never had an issue with it yet. It's, you know, it's built that way. Will something go wrong? Sure, of course. Uh, but I have security cameras that come to my phone um, that oh, are cool. still, they're cellular based. They're actually game cameras for hunters. So it comes to my phone, my, my phone. And also I have a bunch of gates, uh, you know, it's, I always say, I go, if you really want to go up there and steal, you know, my plates and one of my, my TV, you know, it's going to be more work than it's worth. I don't have anything valuable in there. There's yeah. nothing really you can take that's going to end my life. It's like, Hey, if you want to put that much work into it and get a nice HD, you know, picture of yourself doing it, knock yourself out, you know? is my attitude but no i do i i leave it because i can't get back up there until the snow clears i cannot unless i put a snow machine down below and stored a snowmobile down there it's just i don't want to complicate my life it's there's no point i'm not going to drive 15 miles one way to go check on a house in the winter i'm not going to do it okay so we covered the water we covered the electricity i guess Mm -hmm. The sewage, the septic, how does that work? I, I figure that's got to be another huge part of it that you probably have to think of pretty early in the planning sessions uh, if you're trying to put something like this together. Well, all, all uh, gray water and black water, poop and pee, and you know, you're know, you washing your hands and dishes and, and clothes water, all that is is gravity fed into a holding tank with your solids and then going down into a leach field. That, that's been around since uh, since the Romans. I mean, mm-hmm. they had sewer system. It's not much different than that. Um, now it depends on different types. There's a pressure system, which means you have to pump things uphill. So gravity fed means exactly that, and that's a traditional septic system. It mm-hmm. r- runs by gravity. There's no power in it or anything. That's a traditional septic system. That's it. I mean, it's not complicated. Uh, you know, I just had. I'm getting ready to put this one in here. Same system I put in up there, no difference. So yeah, you want to make sure septic is not that tricky in a sense, but there are places like Alaska. Here's a good example. A lot of people who live in Alaska, people are shocked that they don't have septic systems, a lot of people. In cities, I think they do, but remote, no one does because it freezes. You know, All your lines freeze, so they don't have running toilets. They don't have any of that. There's no point in it because it'll all freeze and burst during the winter. But for me, like I said, I drain all the water out. I built my house to where I can actually get all the water out of the water lines in the house. Yeah, I grew up in southwestern Ontario. So we would get like minus 20 winters, minus 20 Celsius winters, and three, four feet of snow. We had a pool in the backyard. And I mean, you had to make sure that you drained the pool, like we drain it about halfway, and then clear all the lines. And we be using this foam and we'd fill the, the, the pipes with this foam. And I mean, otherwise you'd burst everything. And it, even with the house, which is all heated year round, pipes can still burst in the winter time. Um, if you're not careful, I mean, well, that's just a part there, of living in the cold water or cold weather, I think. And that's what I mean in the winter, none of my stuff would freeze. It would be fine. 
because the way I did it, I, you got to bury it a certain depth under the, you know, under the, the freeze line. Mm-hmm. You got to have all your pipes below the freeze line. That's why you do things to code. Their codes are there for a reason. So you don't do stupid things like, you know, putting your, 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 your water lines at 18 inches when they should be at 36 inches. The reason mm-hmm. they're at 36 inches is so they don't freeze. That's the whole point. You know what I mean? So some of the codes are there for your own benefit. And also yeah. like, uh, you know, people go, so you just burn wood, right? And I go, no, by code, I had to have another heat source. So I had to have a physical heater in the house that runs on propane. Okay. They go, well, if you have propane, you're not off grid. I go, well, all off graders almost use propane because mm-hmm. you can't run everything on electricity. I mean, it'll cost you a fortune in batteries and your solar system. Now, do people do it? Yes, they do do it. But most people, we use propane. We just do. You know, my, my, I have a, propane oven uh my water heater runs on propane my uh dryer for my clothes runs on propane so you have some items that run on propane because it's more energy efficient in the end okay so do you have a wood burning fireplace there do you do any cooking on that or do you do any heating on that with that you do it's just a normal wood burning stove i don't cook i could cook on it if i wanted to yeah i don't that's why i have a stove makes my life easy. I just turn that dial and it starts it right up. Um, but no, I, I do so you're not work. roughing it in a lot of ways. You, you built something where you, you kind of have a lot of the amenities that people are used to by living in a city. Just you're a little bit more, or a lot more remote than most people. Well, I run those systems. That's yeah. the thing. If they go down, I got to fix it. I have to set it up and I have to fix it. But you're totally right, and that's what I tell people who would walk into my house. They would not know that it's off-grid. Mm-hmm. It looks and operates inside just like a normal house. There's no mm-hmm. difference. Yeah, so I guess this also ties back to your point about you didn't just build some leaning shit shack on the side of a mountain. I mean, this is a proper house that's furnished and finished and, and ready to go. So, Yeah, all the technology is there. That's what I tell people. I go... Everything you want to do to live a comfortable life, remote, off-grid, all the technology is there. Mm-hmm. It's all there. And then for food, do you buy 100% of your food from the neighboring town? Did you ever end up having a garden there? Do you do a hunting? Is there anything of the food that you're providing for yourself? Or did you decide not to go that route? I do hunt, um, but I don't, I'm not able to big game hunt because I leave. Um, so I leave during big game season. It wouldn't be hard. They're all in my yard. They used to be, but yeah. So I, I bird hunt. Um, do I sell, I'm not a, a, a self subsistence person. I do not live completely off the land. I need to build greenhouses. I haven't had time to build them yet because I have a lot of wild animals. I can't do garden beds. They'll eat everything known to man. I will never get anything above the ground. <laughs> so I've been meaning to build the, the greenhouses. I just have too many projects, but I buy local grass fed meat. Even here, you know, I got a farmer 30 miles away. I go out and get all my grass-fed beef and free-range chicken. Nice. I would love to do that. That's one of the goals. I just – running a business and doing everything I do, I just don't have time. That's not a cop-out or an excuse. Yeah. Living off-grid, you got to pick your poison. Yeah, no I doubt. tell people this all the time. If you're going to homestead, raise your own animals, grow all your own food, well, guess what you're going to do? That's what you're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> Because you can't run a company, you can't do all these things and homestead at the same time. Homesteading becomes your company. And I love that. Trust me. Uh, And I'm up in an area that 
yeah, I, I can't just have fields. I mean, I'm on the top of a mountain and decomposing granite. So I'm not my I'm not conducive to ranching where I'm at. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's very a lot of people do it, but you gotta pick. I decided to have a remote house where I could write my books, live a peaceful lifestyle, run my business, and do the things that way. Um, and that's what I choose. And that's another thing. Everyone, if I can make one the biggest point about living off grid, everyone does it differently. Mm-hmm. No one does it the same. There's no template. There's no cookie cutter. Everyone there's no rules it. to this stuff like, oh, you're not off grid enough. Come on, Gary. Like you should be more off grid. Like that's so silly. Like, oh, you should hear some of the goofballs. I get one guy wrote me and goes, you have running water. That is not off grid. You are a fraud. And I'm all again. I went, uh, the Romans had running water. Uh, I'm struggling with this whole concept of running water and so the running water comes from the well i mean it's not coming from it's not coming from the grid it's not coming from i know i know and i define being off grid my definition is not being tied to any public utilities (laughs) that's all you know are there different levels of it absolutely you can take it as far as you want but that's my definition i'm not i'm not tied to any public utilities and go well you use the internet i go well, yeah, I run I run a business. It's all remote based, but I use Wi-Fi. It's remote. It's a little box from Verizon uh, called a Jetpack. <laughs> I don't have any wired internet. Yeah, it's not fiber optic wired to the house no. or something. So no. All right. So talk to me a little bit about the new project that you're working on, where you are today, how that's going, because everything we've been kind of discussing before was. The, the previous house that you built, but I want to hear a little bit about the one you're working on right now. Uh, well, this one is, like I said, my my winter home uh-huh. down here, and it, it's grid-tied, but I'm on 20 acres. I mean, I'm out of town, but I didn't want to have – also, I didn't want to have two very remote off-grid houses. It can be a little stressful. You know, leave one, worry about one, then you leave the other, you worry – you know, I just wanted something uh, where I could age in is the best way to put it. Something that if things go wrong, I lose my health, anything like that, that I have a little bit of a backup. But again, it's on 20 acres. There was nothing there. Developed it just the same way as I developed that house up there. In the process, things are slow because of the everyone's leaving the city and driving me nuts right now. But I do live remote yet again, small town. And also, uh, I don't tell people exactly where this one is at because uh, mm-hmm. last year I had the most flyovers of airplanes and helicopters I've ever had over my property because I told everyone where it is. Well, I'm not making that mistake twice. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I've had quite a few looky-loos because they figure out that's where I live. And, uh, you know, I get it. I get the curiosity, but I'm not going to lie. It pisses me off. Um, It's very very disrespectful, to say the least. Yeah. No. Yeah. Trust me. You, You know what they're doing when they circle your house five times. You're like, okay, I get it. I get it now. You're, you're pissing me off. How about you go away? Um, but they're, just, they're checking it out. It could be the NSA. Who knows? But yeah, so this time I'm being a little more secretive of where this one is. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, I'm about mid-project. I'm getting ready in two weeks to head back up to the, the winter house or the summer house mm-hmm. in the mountains. And I'm going to have to go back and forth and kind of manage this one. But this one will definitely be done this year. But I'm being smart. I'm building the small house first. It's my casita. But it's my podcast studio slash living quarters. But I'm building it to where if I don't want to, I don't need to build the main house. 
I mm -hmm. put the option in there to do it because it's cheaper to do the dirt work and get it set up now than it is if I change my mind and decide to build it, then we have to come in and start from scratch on the big one. And it's not even big. The little one's about 620 square foot, single level with a loft. Very similar uh, building plan as my other house. It's a lean-to. It's uh, um, instead of a gabled, like I had a gabled up there for snow and everything. This one, I don't have snow out where I'm at. N not a lot. So I don't have to worry about that. But yeah, I'm just building a small little house. Uh, very simple. Nothing complicated. Uh, you know, but this one will all have more reliable internet because I have a podcast. I do mm -hmm. run a business. So that's where I mean, too. You have to make sacrifices in there. You know, I have to decide, do I want to run a business and be able to make a living and get my message out? Or do I want to live all remotely and not do any of that? That's mm -hmm. kind of, like I said, you got to figure out what you want to do. But yeah, so I'm, I'm in this. It'll be done this year. This, the little part of it this year. Just got my... uh storage container out there, a cargo container, which I had built, shipping container. I cut it to a 30 foot because that's big as I could get in the space I had. So I had to have it cut down from a 40. Mm. And yeah, so, you know, I, I can park, park a car in it. And so it's kind of my in-between where I put everything. But yeah, just kind of living in sure. a trailer in an RV park because uh, I don't have any water power there yet. I have the well drilled, but nothing is set up. We're trying to get to that right now. Amazing. So are you documenting a lot of this process for the new property that you're you're doing? Um, yeah. Are you doing that on the podcast? Are you doing that on your website, another book? How, have, how can people follow along with that journey? Well, that off-grid picks sub sub uh, domain, that, I did that for that. I don't have all the pictures up because it's just dirt and stuff mm -hmm. right now, but I'll be putting it up. I'll be documenting, I document things simply because everyone wants videos and you know they want you, it, guys, it's a ton of work to do that. It's a big pain in the ass. I've got other things to do in my life besides doing YouTube videos. I stopped doing them like three years ago. Pictures, you know what? The video, the picture shows you the same thing as the video. It's a freaking house, it's a piece of dirt. Uh, me walking around pontificating about it. I don't know if it adds anything to it. Um, so I try and keep it simple. Will I not do video? I will try and do videos if I can. It's just some back and forth. So yeah, you go to that, you'll see the progress. I'm going to write a book about this. And the reason is people, most people I've run into, they love what I do. But the first thing they say is, I can't, I don't want to live off grid, but I want to live an off grid lifestyle on grid. Very interesting because that's where kind of what my second house is. So this house is more built to what I think most people are looking for, that in-betweener. You're not off-grid, you're not detached, but you're away from town, you're away from the noise, and it's you have all the creature comforts if you want them. Well, I, I think that probably a lot of people are interested in that type of thing because it's like, okay, you're... You're connected to the grid for your everyday normal life. Now, if shit really hits the fan and the grid goes down, you're not up shit's creek because you're already set up to provide your own yeah. power and water and things like that. So it's more of the, the backup plan and that personal responsibility that we talk about so much on this show about being prepared just in case. Do you think that that's kind of part of the appeal for a lot of people as well? 
Yeah, because with the way I'll have it set up, if the grid does go down, I'm fine. Yeah. All my systems still work. Everything will be fine. And it's funny at my house up in, in the mountains, there's a lake below me where I stayed. There's two RV parks. That's where I stayed. I forgot about that. I couldn't get my RV up to my property. It's in the book, the story. I, uh, I, I misjudged my roads by a lot. There's no way I was getting a travel trailer up there. I could, but I would tear it up. I'd never get it out of there. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's teeth below. being the travel part of the trailer, I think. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and But what, what happens is the power goes out when I'm up there because we get windstorms, we'll get snow, we'll get sleet while I'm up there. I mean, and it'll knock the power out. I don't know the power's out until I'm in looking out the window at the lake and it's black. Like yeah. there's no light yeah. That's the only time I know the power's out. So yeah, it's kind of fun that you're up there, you're doing your usual stuff. You know, I'm sitting there, you know, working on the computer, watching TV, whatever, and I look out the window and all the power's out. Mm -hmm. I, well, I have TV. the same thing at my at my house in Panama. We one of the first things I did, and I mean, like we're in downtown Panama. I'm not off grid by any means, but we built, not built, bought this massive um battery backup for the house for the office so that when i'm doing interviews and podcasts or, or conference calls with many people if the electricity goes out it doesn't matter like i don't even notice and the thing's so big that we actually can run our fans on it we run all the computers and the multiple screens because i use desktops i don't use a laptop for all the the work that we do and it's funny it's in panama it rains so much and it's like the power will go out and I don't even realize it until like an hour later or three hours later, I go downstairs and all the lights are flashing on the, the stove timer or something like that, because we just have the office set up to have our own power. So it is a nice feeling to still be able to deal with those interim periods if the grid does go down and not have it affect your life. Well, yeah, and that's why uh, I, I felt it was important to kind of write this book to kind of put the perfect cap to it, too, because I wrote going off the grids, my journey to get there, living off the grids, more of the lessons I've learned. And then this book will be called Grid Tide. And I'll talk about the next version and the in-between lifestyle that I'm developing and the new systems, the new technology and how I am doing it. And it's just uh, I like I don't know. I'm a little weird. I actually like writing books. Uh, uh, after 10 years, I've become actually halfway decent at it. So, uh, you know, they're a fun process and I like sharing. I like mm -hmm. sharing the stories and, and like getting the feedback on it. And uh, yeah, so I'll be documenting it for sure. Brilliant. I love it, Gary. Awesome conversation. Super, super interesting. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. If my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to listen to your podcast, where can we send them? Yeah, the easiest way is the simplelifenow.com. Everything's housed there. All the books, courses, everything is there. And also the podcast, you can listen to it. If you're not in iTunes or anything like that, you can actually download it and listen to it from my website. And the podcast is called The Simple Life with Gary Collins. I just changed the name about three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's uh, the podcast. We talk about everything. Anything that will better your life is what I talk about on the podcast. So it's not just living off grid or what I'm doing. It is about changing your life and, and taking control of your life. That's the whole basis of the podcast. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Gary. And I'll talk to you soon, okay? Thanks, Mikhail. Appreciate it. 
This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.